um, just kind of an introduction of the book. Um, uh, so the name of this book, Nahum, is named after the prophet that uh, that had the prophecy that wrote this book. Um, he was from Elkosh, um, which is a, a, a little known city. It's not like a, um, a well-known town. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, um, there's uh, several um there's a little, there's very, a lot of doubt, very little known about it and a lot of doubt as far as where it actually is, um, uh, you know, on the map. Um, his name, uh, Nahum, means uh, consoler. Uh, it means comfort, which is odd given the tone of the book. Um, although I guess, you know, given the tone of the book, it's probably more comfort for, for Judah, um, you know, the southern kingdom, that, which was split between Israel and, and, and Judah. Um, as they were constantly oppressed by the Assyrians, uh, you know, and so and so while the message may not necessarily be comfort, the fact that God is is uh, prophesying the fall of Nineveh, uh, which is the capital city, uh, uh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And they had been oppressing Judah um, and Israel uh, uh, for quite a long time. Uh, this is now prophesying the fall of, of, of Nineveh. So it could be comfort for <laughs> for Judah, um, despite its uh, its tone. And it's and it's wrath um, uh, as a book now. So it's been it, it, they say it's been written anytime between uh, six sixty three and six fifty four BC. Uh, um, remember, there was we there, we were uh, studying how there was a little bit of uh, doubt, not doubt, just just uh, not the ability to kind of really pinpoint an actual date when Jonah was written. So we had a range there too, um, but Jonah was written before. The book of Nahum was written. Okay, so it's important to, to, to remember that that Jonah was written first, Nahum written uh, 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 second, and, and probably close to 200, uh, 220, 230 years um, after Jonah had uh, uh, had been written. And this is previous to the fall of Nineveh, which was in 620, uh, 621 BC. So while this book was written anywhere between 663 and 654 BC, that's literally, you know, 35 some odd years before the actual fall. So this prophecy was years before it happened, but not as not as far, far as um, as Jonah was uh, uh, from that point. Now, in context, you know, when you look at it, it uh, uh, to the prior to prior years with Jonah, uh, we see the repentance of Nineveh. Right. Uh, you know, we saw we read in 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 um, in Jonah where. Um, where God wanted Nineveh to, where God had a message of repentance in Nineveh, Jonah didn't want to do it. And you know, we went verse by verse, we saw that. But at the end, it ended with Nineveh repenting. I mean, an extreme repentance. Remember, it was like, they said they, that that from everybody, from male, female, old to small, all, you know, had on uh, had on grieving clothes, uh, cloths and and even the animals. They even had the animals in, in these cloths and stuff like that. And so we saw this extreme repentance from Nineveh. But in Nahum, couple hundred years uh, later, we see that Nineveh went back to his old ways and now are going to face the judgment of God. Okay. And so that's where, that's the state of Nineveh now, where prior we saw this extreme repentance and God's wrath was withheld. Uh, But now we see in Nahum that Nineveh went back to its old ways uh, and now they're facing judgment. And this is a great point for all of us, even before we um, uh, uh, start the book, you know, please, we should make sure that, 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 that we do all we can as far as self-reflection, as far as making sure that 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 we have accountability uh, in our own personal lives, to make sure that we don't think too highly of ourselves, as if we can't find ourselves in the same craziness, same 
ridiculous situations that God might have delivered us from before. You ever, you ever find yourself, you don't have to admit it if you don't want to tonight, that's fine. Or you can, you can, you can just confirm it within yourself where you find yourself in the same situation that God kind of got you out of before. And it's like, well, I kind of knew that I shouldn't have been, you know what I mean? And so you find yourself re- repeatedly in that kind of same thing. And this is exactly what happened uh, here with the people of Nineveh. So we got to make sure, I see, see, we want to make sure that we, that, that, that we don't have this lack of self-awareness or that we don't have this taking things for granted that we find ourselves in these repeated patterns where 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 um where we're, we're, we're living in a certain way or doing a certain thing and then and then God's been faithful and God's been just and he's been pulling us out and the next thing you know we fall right back into the same thing and then right back into the same thing sometimes God will pull you out of, of a financial mess and then you know these same spinning habits will get you right back in the same financial mess and then you're praying for God to deliver me out of this financial mess he thinks that I said the same spinning habits put you right back in the same financial mess right um, or sometimes it's relationships that I see you Charmaine sometimes it's relationship stuff sometimes there's you know other kind of drama or whatever and so we see how uh how, how once they repented God was merciful, and then they find themselves right back in the same situation, uh, but now God's judgment is coming on them. Now, don't forget, you know, Jesus used Nineveh as an, a good example uh, and a rebuke to the Pharisees. Remember, we saw this in, 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 uh, in Jonah, where in Matthew 12, 41, he talks about how, how you know, the people of Jonah, who re- the people of Nineveh, uh, who repented, those evil people will, will judge you in the evil in, in, uh, at the judgment because of your lack of repentance. He told that to the Pharisees. And so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that these folks who he used that as an example, you know, as a people, as a nation, they fell back into um, uh, the same things. The ones who repented, obviously, this is what those are the ones he was talking about, the ones who were spared, uh, that they would be the ones judging. But those same descendants of those people are now back into the same thing. And it's interesting, and here's another lesson for us, the same way the lesson is not to think too highly of ourselves. I think there's a lesson in this book, too, that we should not let time, um, don't let time and space, don't let time desensitize you to what God has done for you or what God has brought you from and how his mercy rescued you and, and, and what he spared you from. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, the further removed we get from something, you know, it's like we forget where we've come from. Or we forget where God has delivered us from. We forget what God has done for us. I mean, we're, they're not too far removed. It being 663 or 654 uh, from the book of Jonah, from what we see them here in Nahum, like they're not that far removed. Um, you know, so if you read through the Old Testament and you see so many times where maybe it's a it's it's a it's an altar built or 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 uh, the the um, instruction is to tell the generations and tell the children what the Lord is. And so there's a, there's a telling of the story of what God has done that helps us to remember, you know, what God has done in our lives. And every now and again, we got to make sure that we tell 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 ourselves that story. Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget what God has brought me from. I cannot forget how God has placed me where I am here. And, and, and you tell your children and you tell your children's children what God has done for your family uh, so that there's that that memory of what he's brought us from. Uh, and so that we don't fall into this forgetfulness that oftentimes happen uh, when it comes uh, to time and stuff like that. So several themes that we'll find uh, here in the book. Uh, one theme is God's judgment. Uh, we see God's judgment. We see God as a judge here. We see God's wrath. We see God's vengeance. Uh, we also see that God will use anyone. Like God can use anyone, um, you know, to uh, for his purpose or for his will or for his plan uh, to be done. You know, when we get to the books of Micah and when we get to the books, uh, uh, the book of Isaiah, the books of Micah and Isaiah, you know, you're going to we're going to see that God, you know, this oppression that he's bringing his children out of here. Actually, they were in the suppression in the first place because of their actions. And so he he was using this, the people of Nineveh to to perform his um, his judgment on his people 
for the way that they were living. And so, and so we see that God uses, as Krista will remind you, he uses all these things to work out, you know, his purpose and his plan um, in, 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 uh, in your life. And so uh, he was actually using them in, in this instance, uh, the people of Nineveh. And we'll see that when we get to Micah uh, and Isaiah. And when we get to it, it, when we get to it, if somebody remind, if someone remembers that this, that can see that connective tissue in those books to, to, uh, to Nahum, uh, and to Jonah, please just type it in, in the thing if I forget to uh, to show that connective tissue in Micah and in Isaiah. Um, also, a theme in, in this book um, that's kind of like a, a principal bridging theme that we can get out of it when we read it is our appreciation for God's mercy and our appreciation for God's long suffering, for our, our appreciation that God doesn't, you know, doesn't handle us um, the way he has handled people in the past and that we are under mercy and that we are under, you know, this, this, this period and this time where there's grace uh, and there's mercy and there's forgiveness and there's time to get it right. Um, and so we thank God for that. And we'll see that throughout this book, because when his judgment comes, his judgment, his judgment comes. I see you, Mom. So let's start in in um, in, in Nahum. This is going to be, uh, again, one of our one of our uh, verse by verses, because, you know, it's pretty short. And I, I we should be able to uh, read through it uh, tonight with all these themes uh, in mind. So we'll read through it together. Uh, chapter one, verse one. Uh, and, and I'll probably read to about eight and, and, and take a break and, and go through a few things. Uh, here we go. Uh, uh, verse one, this message, I'm reading from the NLT too, by the way, the NLT. He says, this message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum uh, who lived in Elkosh. Um, uh, verse number two says, the Lord is a jealous God, okay? Filled with vengeance and rage. Uh, he, takes ven- he takes revenge on those who oppose him, continues to rage against his enemies. Verse three, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. Watch this. He never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his, beneath his, feet, uh, his feet. At his command, the oceans dry up and the rivers disappear. The lush plasters of Bashan and Carmel uh, fade and the green forest of Lebanon, of Lebanon wither. And in his presence, the mountains quake and the hills melt away. The earth trembles and its people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble, when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him, but he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. And so when we read this, by the way, and I didn't, I didn't really realize this until I was reading a couple of commentaries on the book of Nahum. It is, it is, it is almost considered in some cases, literary art. And you can see that in how he's describing how powerful God is. It's almost as if he's right. Some now, not poetry in the way that we consider it, but some commentaries even consider it, you know, a, a form of poetry, the way that he, that, the way that he wrote it, the way he talks about how the billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet and the commands of ocean dry up and the rivers disappear. Just look at, at, at all this descriptive language that the prophet is using to, to describe God and how he's using a lot of, um, a lot of natural things. He's using mountains and, and clouds and whirlwinds and storms and mountains and hills and, and, and fire and, and all this, and, and mountains crumble to dust in his presence. He is using a lot of literary stuff to, to explain just how great and how powerful God is. And he uses a lot of language talking about, I see you see a great imagery, you're right, uh, really good, good writing here. And, and, and he uses this to, to, to reveal 
God's character. We learn a lot in these first eight verses. He talks about how God, how God is jealous. And we learn that when we read the commandments. When we're back then, he's talking about, you know, I am the, the Lord your God, and you will have no other God other than me. We've seen that before. And so we see the jealousy. I am your God. There's no other God above me. He does not tolerate idolatry, right? And so we see the jealousness of God in this. We see uh, that uh, he's he says he's you know filled with vengeance and rage, right? He says he's got this anger and he's got this rage, and who can withstand when God is you know when 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 God is is angry? Who can stand against that? But yet he also says, watch this, slow to anger, okay? And so he says he's, he's got this vengeance and this anger, and who can withstand it? And then this and then that. He says yet he is slow to anger, and we see we saw him watch this with these same people in Nineveh. We've seen him slow to anger in their story where, where, where he didn't want to destroy Nineveh. He sends Jonah to say, Hey, you got to tell them to repent. You got to tell them to repent the way that they're living. Right. And so he does that. And so we've seen him slow to anger. And now we see, uh, his, uh, uh, his, his, his judgment coming on them. And when we talk about his slow, his, him being slow to anger, that's where we thank God for his mercy, that he's slow to anger with us and that he's long suffering and that he's patient. You know, I can't, you know, I know Charmaine lives right. And so Charmaine doesn't need the, the patience and the mercy of God. I need it. I need it all the time. Um, and, and it's funny because there's that, uh, that C and I were talking about, um, uh, this song. I can't remember the name of it now. Oh, the song, um, Holy water, where at the bridge they says, you know, God. They says, I don't want to abuse your grace, God. I need it every day. That's me. It's like, I, you know, um, it's like I don't want to abuse His grace. You know, even though, even though I am in constant need of His grace and of His patience and and of His mercy. Thank God that that even in in, in all the the judgment and the anger and the jealous jealousy and the rage that we see in these first eight verses, that He also mentions that He is slow, uh, 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 slow to anger. And also we see where God will in, uh, uh, get re, re, uh, uh, will enact revenge uh, and things like that, that it's not up to us. We don't have to do it, that it is God who will avenge things and, and, and it is God who will get that revenge. And so we personally don't have to seek that on others. Uh, so now we'll jump to eight. Um, oh, you know what? Let's, 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 let me read seven again. And when you get time, because it's such a short book, read through this again. I mean, just the like see, said, the imagery and the language that is used is, is, is really is like liter- literary art. Um, uh, verse seven, uh, he says, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. And we thank God for being a refuge when trouble comes. Watch this. He is close to those who trust him and how he is close to the ones who trust him. That though, uh, You know, there's, there's the Psalms that, Lord, those who know you trust you and know that you will not forsake the ones who seek your face. That Listen, it's sometimes when you're going through things in life and you feel like you are alone and you feel like you are separate and you feel like that no one's with you, you have to remember that the Bible tells us here that he is close to the ones, watch this, who what? Who trusts him. And so we see that in seven. And so even though you may feel far away, understand that's just your feeling. Uh, you, 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 it doesn't mean you are uh, far away. Uh, so let's jump to verse eight, uh, where we see the fate of his enemies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, we'll read eight, uh, uh, eight through uh, about 12 or so. He says, but he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. Why are you scheming against the Lord? He will destroy you with one blow. He won't need to strike twice. His enemies tangled like thorn bushes and staggering like drunks. He will, uh, will be burned up like dry stubble in a field. Who is this wicked counselor of yours who plots evil against the Lord? Again, all of this literary greatness 
um, uh, of, of uh, Nahum as he writes this. He says, who is the wicked counselor of yours who plots against the Lord? This is what the Lord says. And so now he's going into what God says. Now, watch this. I do want to talk a, a, a little bit about this where, 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 you know, I'm not saying anything as far as Nahum and how he felt about uh, the people of Nineveh, but it's easy to imagine that he probably didn't like them almost the same way Jonah didn't. And because, listen, you weren't going to find many people in Judah who liked the Assyrians because of the oppression and because of what they did to them. And so, you know, that's probably also reflected in his writing too, you know, almost, almost rejoicing at the wrath of God coming on his enemies. You know, he, he doesn't sound disappointed about what he's writing. Okay. And so he doesn't sound like he, he doesn't even sound like he's fearful of it. He's like, this is what's going to happen to you. You won't be able to stand against the Lord once he comes. And so, and so, uh, uh, and so you can almost see that in his writing when we get into what he's saying to Nineveh. Right. And so here we go. Verse 12, he says, he says, this is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians may have allies. Now, remember, the people of Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He says, though the Assyrians may have allies, they will be destroyed and disappear. Oh, my people, I have punished you before, but I will not punish you again. Now, this is not this is not him speaking to the Assyrians or to Nineveh. Right here, this is where he's speaking to uh, to Judah, okay? Uh, and this is where we're talking about how you can see that connective thread, how God was using um, uh, the Ninevites and using the Assyrians to, to uh, exact judgment against his people when they weren't living right and when they, and, and when they were doing things that caused him uh, to judge them. And so you, you see here where he says, I've judged you before, but I won't do it again. So let's jump back to, uh, uh, to 12. This is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians may have many allies, they will be destroyed and disappear. Oh, my people. Again, he's talking about Judah here. Okay, I have punished you before, but I will now punish. But I will not punish you again. I will now break the yoke of bondage from your neck and tear off the chains of the uh, Assyrian oppression. And so, again, we saw how he used this as judgment on them. And now we see how he is liberating them. Right. And so God using Assyria to judge his people. But now he is setting them free from that. Uh, oppression. Now, again, this is coming maybe 30 or 40 years after this has already been prophesied. Okay. And so here, remember, we saw God as, as the jealous God, the God filled with vengeance, the God filled with rage, but we see the God who is slow to anger, right? Uh, and the fact that he was slow to anger with, with, the, with the Ninevites, right? But now in verse 13, we see another characteristic about God that we're learning from him. God as a liberator. God is one who will set you free. We experience as, as far as being set free from sin and how we've been set free from the, from, the, from the curse of the law and all these things that we've been set free. And even in your personal life, if there are things that are holding you down and things that you feel have you in bondage, that listen, you're not a slave to any of that. And it may feel like you're in bondage, he's already liberated you and have already set you free. We have to look, we have to learn how to walk in our freedom. We have to learn how to walk in our liberation. We have who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we're no longer, we're no longer held bound or captive to anything. And so we need to, some of, listen, some of us tonight need to need to sit down and, and, and read through some of these things and, and, and get some Bible, some uh, Bible verses about God being a liberator and really take into in, into our spirit inside of us that we are free and that you have been set free and that there is nothing that is holding you back because it, and so maybe it is an experience or um or, or uh, that that you need to experience God or or have him reveal himself to you as a liberator you know what i mean for for us to truly walk into the freedom that we have uh, as opposed to walking 
thinking that something has us bound and, and this has got us like, no, if the son has set us free, we're, we're free indeed and we're free from um, all of that. Uh, so verse 14, and this is what the Lord says concerning the Assyrians in Nineveh. Okay. And so now we get to what God is saying about them. You will have no more children to carry your name. I will destroy all the idols in the temples of your God. And so here we see, we see God as, as the jealous God, right? You, I will destroy the idols in the temples of your God. I am preparing a grave for you because you are despicable. He says, look, a messenger is coming over the mountains with good news. He, now, this is him speaking again to Judah. Uh, he says, he is bringing a message of peace. Celebrate your festivals, O people of Judah. So we see how he's switching back and forth, right? Uh, 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 and, your, and fulfill all your vows. For your wicked enemies will never invade your land again. They will be completely destroyed. Uh, now, here, here's his message to Nineveh as we jump into chapter two. He says, your enemy is coming to crush you, Nineveh. Uh, and he's talking about the fall of Nineveh after they were invaded. He says, the, uh, man the ramparts, watch the roads, prepare your defenses, call out your forces. Watch this. Even though the destroyers have destroyed Judah, watch this. Even though the destroyer has destroyed Judah, the Lord will restore its honor. Israel's vine has been stripped off branches, but he will restore its splendor. And so just as we saw the, 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 the nature of the jealous God and the vengeance yet slow to anger, and we see God as the, as the, as the liberator, we are now seeing him as, yeah, Nineveh's going to get crushed. But he says, and even though Judah, watch this, even though Judah, he says, have been destroyed, even though the destroyer has destroyed Judah, we see that in verse two, we now see they will now experience God as one who restores. And that same God who restores then can also restore for you. We're seeing the characteristics of God. And so maybe it's the restoration that you need in your life of some sort, or maybe something that, ha- that has been destroyed in, uh, in life. Or maybe you've gone through a f- some financial issues because of something that happened in the past and you feel like your finances are destroyed. You got to receive tonight from the book of Nahum that he's revealing that God is a restorer, that yes, the, destroy- the destroyer came and destroyed Judah, that the, that the destruction you felt in whatever area of life you felt that destruction, yes, it was real. And yes, it happened. However, God can restore. And we see it right here where he says, even though the destroyer has destroyed Judah, the Lord will what will restore its honor. Israel's vine has been stripped off the branches, but he will what restore its splendor. And so listen, we talked about, we talked about slow to anger. You may need to receive that about God. Somebody on this call right now may think that God is too mad at them and God don't want nothing to do with you. He's mad. He's upset. No, 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 no. Slow to anger. We need to receive his mercy, right? We talked about God as a liberator and as a restorer. Verse three, uh, shields flash red in the sun uh, light. See the scarlet uniforms of the valent troops. Watch as their glittering chariots move into position with a force of spears waving above them. Again, we see the literary art of Nahum, right? He says, the chariots race recklessly along the streets and rush wildly through the squares. They flash like the, fly, like the uh, firelight uh, and they move swiftly as lightning. The king shouts to his officers. They stumble in their haste, rushing to the walls to set up their defenses. The, he, again, he's prophesying what's, hap- what's going to happen um, to, to Nineveh. He says, the river gates have been torn open. The, pal- uh, the palace is about to collapse. Nineveh's exile has uh, has been decreed, and all the servants, uh, girls, mourn its capture. It says they mourn like doves and, and, and beat their breasts in sorrow. Nineveh is like the leaking water reservoir. People are slipping away. Stop, stop, someone shouts, but no one even looks back. Loot the silver, plunder the gold. Do you see this literary art? Loot the silver, plunder the gold. There's no end to Nineveh's treasures. It's vast, uncounted wealth. Soon the city is plundered, empty, ruined. Hearts melt and knees shake. The people stand aghast, their faces pale and trembling. 
Where now is that great Nineveh, that den filled with young lions? Like, where is the strong Nineveh? Where is the conqueror? Where is the destroyed Nineveh? He says the the, the den that was filled with young lions. He says it was a, a place where people like lions and their cubs walk freely without fear. He says the lion tore up meat for his cubs and strangled prey for his mate. He filled his den with prey, his caverns with his plunder. I am your enemy. Listen, this is God speaking. He says, I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven, of heaven's armies. Your chariots will soon go up in smoke. Your young men will be killed in battle. Never again will you plunder conquered nations. Never again will you plunder conquered nations. The voices of your proud messengers will be heard no more. Let's keep going. We got a little bit more to go before we got one more chapter. And we'll read, we'll, we'll read through this uh, right now. Uh, verse uh, chapter three, verse one. What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. Listen, crammed with wealth and never without victims. It should also be said. It's funny how they pay so much attention to Nineveh um, militarily. Uh, from from what I've read in in uh, studying for this book, is that they had the reputation of being ruthless in war. Um, even so much, they said that there were times that they would take the skin of the people that they conquered and would pull it outside the walls of the city to, to as a show of strength of what they of what they've done. That's, I mean, that's that's some wild stuff. And so uh, that's just some of the stuff uh, you know that they that, that I've read that they that they would. But yeah, known to be ruthless. Um, and so now they say, well, yeah, that's when they say, well, where are the lions and the young cubs who used to walk freely without fear? Uh, he says, uh, verse two. Uh, chapter three, verse two. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels, horses, hooves pounded, a pound, the chariots clatter wildly. See the flashing swords and the glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. Uh, there are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms. You, do you hear this literary stuff? Mistress of deadly charms enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I, we, I think, listen, thank God for his mercy and that we are, that, that we are friends of God, we're children of God, that we are not any longer enemies of God. Um, uh, that's where shout for. And I have to believe a lot of times when we talk about identity, we talked about that in some of our teaching. Um, uh, that who we are, that, that that God doesn't look down on us and say that He is that that He is our enemy. Um, uh, that He doesn't say that. He says, uh, uh, "And now I will lift your skirts and show all the earth your nakedness and shame. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vow vow uh, you really are. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does any watch this? Does anyone regret your destruction? Like who's mourning for these people? I'm telling you, they were ruthless, and, and so you know Judah didn't like them. Something tells me there were others who felt the same way about Nineveh uh, and the Assyrians as well. But says who will regret your destruction? Are you better uh, than any city of the uh, of the Thebes? He says situ- uh, sit, uh, situated on the Nile River, surrounded by water. She was protected by the river on all sides walled in by water. Ethiopia and the land of Egypt gave unlimited assistance. The nations of Put and Libya were among her allies, yet Thebes fell, and her people were led away as captives. Her babies were dashed to death against stones in the streets. Soldiers drew dice to get the Egyptian officers as servants. All their leaders were bound in change, and you, Nineveh, will also stagger like a drunkard. You will hide for fear of the attacking enemy, all your fortresses will fail 
I'm sorry, all your fortresses will fall. Uh, they will be devoured like the ripe figs that fall into the mouths of those who shake the trees. Your troops will be as weak and as helpless as women. Uh, the gates of the the gates of the land will be open wide to the enemy and set on fire and burn. Get ready for the siege. Store up water. Strengthen the defenses. Go into the pits. Uh, the pits and trample like clay and pack it into mold, uh, making bricks to repair the wall. But the fire will devour you. Meaning, go ahead, get ready for it. Store up your water. Do everything you feel you need to do. Go ahead and do it. Verse fifteen says, "But the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down. The enemy consume you like locusts, devouring everything they see. There will be no escape." Remember, Nahum is doesn't seem sad by any of this, right? I mean, this is like, because again, all the suppression and stuff, you know, this is now them being delivered from it. So he seems happy this is happening in Nineveh. Uh, he says, there will be no escape. Even if you multiply like swarming locusts, your merchants have multiplied until they outnumber the stars. But like a swarm of locusts, they strip the land and fly away. Your guards and officials uh, are also like swarming locusts that crowd together in the hedges on a cold day. But like the locusts that fly away when the sun comes up, all of them will fly away and disappear. Your shepherds are asleep, O Assyrian king. Your princes lie dead in the dust. Your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. There is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. All who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Come on, the, the Nineveh was not like. This is all who hear of your destruction, uh, destruction will clap for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruel, uh, cruelty? And so we see how God's judgment on Nineveh now, uh, uh, he was uh, uh, slow to anger because of Jonah's work. Um, although he, although Jonah, you know, was upset about it, but Nahum didn't seem as though he was mad that that judgment now <laughs> was coming. And so, uh, and so we see, and, and for good reason, um, obviously it seems when we read about the, uh, the Assyrian uh, empire and the people there of uh, Nineveh. 